Welcome. Thanks for joining us today on the Venture Podcast. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you along your journey. I want to echo what the team said about last weekend. It really was a thrill to uh, just see so many people make that declaration of what Christ has done in their life and uh, see the 70 baptisms. I, you know, we had 50-something scheduled for the weekend, and not everybody could that was scheduled. And then we had a bunch jump in that just determined. And just every service, there were different stories. We had people from all over the world getting baptized, so many different countries represented. We had different ages. One service we had, uh, I think it was an eight-year-old up to a 94-year-old in the same service with it. And uh, one family that, that decided that day to get baptized, six of them, and I, in each of them, just thrilling. And I would encourage you, if you've not been baptized, let us know. We'll continue to celebrate what Christ has done, and we'd love to celebrate that with you. I also loved having the kids up here. I don't know about you, I've been singing those worship songs. And they've been good verses to sing this week. And, and I gotta say, I learned something about all of you, just, just so you know. You know, every week we're in here and we're singing, and most of you, I mean, you are rigid still the whole time you sing. But those kids get on the stage and they're like, lift your hands. And, and I looked out in the crowd and all of you, whoa, you're swaying your hands. You're doing all the motions. I know you can do it. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a matter of who asked you in that. But uh, it was a great service all the way around in it. A number of things going on around here on our campus with that, with all this going on, a number of you guys have been asking me when we're launching Better Man Again, that actually launches this Thursday morning, the morning version. And then the Wednesday night version follows that. But this Thursday, 6 a.m., Better Man Next Steps. And we're going to drill down on some of the topics that we laid the foundation in the fall, but some of the things in the spring. And I'm launching with some material that I've been working on, on three things every man faces in life. What do you do when you succeed? What do you do when you fail? What do you do when crisis comes? And that can be in any arena from your work, your home, life, but we'll launch. We're going to launch up in venue two, 6 a.m. this Thursday morning. It doesn't matter if you were here in the fall, you, anybody can jump in. Doesn't matter if you go to church or not, bring a guy. If you know a guy that uh, needs to be with other men talking about the issues that impact men today, love to have you this Thursday at 6 a.m. When you came on the campus here, you may have noticed some signs, some tape, the restrooms closed off with it. This is an old building, and what we thought was a clog a few weeks ago that we've been working on is actually collapsed pipes. And uh, yeah, we had crews working all night, some nights this week, different pieces of equipment that burned out in the process. And so we're sorry for the inconvenience, praying that we can get it fixed this week with some new pipe, new line that's gonna have to go in with that. But if you'll flex some of the bathrooms, we've had to close off specifically so we can have them for children's ministry. But we have brought in porta-potties, yes. <laughs> really nice porta-potties too. Because everybody likes that outdoor experience at church, so we, we wanted to, uh, yeah, do, do that for you, so that's there. This week, we was, I was scheduled to preach on digital margin. I've been working on a message. I think it may be one of the most critical messages in this series. And uh, given the events of the last week, especially the events that we've been facing with the school and all that we've had to walk through, 
in that. And uh, it's been a difficult time. It's taken uh, a lot of my time and attention and energy of just walking families through this school and, and being connected in that. We have no new information there. Uh, investigation continues. And so just continue to pray. Pray for all that are involved in that. And we'll inform you when we have new information on that. But because of that, I hit a point later in the week that uh, this message on digital margin is one that's pretty research intensive. And I just didn't feel like I could give the energy and time to it that I wanted to because I believe it's so important. And I also found myself that uh, God was drawing me to a passage that uh, speaks to me in times like this. And I, I think not just us, and not just what we're going through here, it, it's been interesting. I've talked to a number of people, people from last night, that a lot of people are going through difficult times. And, and so I want to just, this weekend I called an audible and just said, you know, we're, we're going to focus on this passage this weekend. And if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to it. It's Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah 40. And uh, if you use the Bible in the room, it's page 713. It's kind of right there in the middle of the Bible. And it's a passage that, that I like because uh, I think of the audience that it was written to. Isaiah is an interesting book. The first half of the book is written to one audience, second half to a later generation. And the second half in particular is, is written to the Israelites, the people specifically who had been taken from the land of Judah, and they're in captivity in Babylon. Babylon's the world power of the day. And Israel has been wiped out. There's not populated anymore. And the people have been taken into captivity. And, and there was a hope of the people that when they went into captivity, okay, we've not been obedient to God. We've gone into this captivity, but surely we're going to go back into the land soon. And they're there. And a year passed. And then more years passed. And then decades passed. To, to where they're at a point, they've been there 70 years. Now just picture, you're, you're this people of God, you're longing to go back to life as it should be. And 70 years passed. You may have been born in Babylon, and now you're 70 years old. And you start wondering, okay, is God forgetting about us here? What's going on? How did this happen? And Isaiah writes in chapter 40, the whole chapter is a great chapter where he's pointing out the attributes of God and who God is because he's reminding them in that. And then at the end of the chapter, starting in verse 27, you, you see why he's writing this. Because when you're a person in crisis, when you're a person who's going through a hard time, especially when you've gone through it for a long time, you start having some questions. Read with me, starting in verse 27. <clears throat> he says, why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Kind of two things that had surfaced in their hearts during this time. 
kind of two key questions that all of us, I think, have in it. Look at the first question in it. Does God see what is going on in my life? My my way is hidden from God. Is God seeing this? Is is, is God aware of this? And and there's a part of it, I know even when we ask the question, at a cognitive level, at a mental level, of course he sees. He's God. He sees all things. But these are questions of the heart. These are those deep down questions that even though rationally you can tell yourself the right answer, emotionally, personally, at a soul level you go, Man, I don't know if God's seeing this. I don't know if God really has his eye on me. And and, and then the second one that goes hand in hand with it, does he care about my life? Maybe he's seeing it, but he doesn't care. And they said, he's disregarded us. He's kind of forgotten about us. And and again, if you go through hard seasons... Especially, maybe you've been a follower of Christ. You you know the right answer to that. Of course God sees. Of course God cares. God cares about all people. But it's real easy to get in this place where you go, well, God cares about all people, but somehow I fell through the cracks. Somehow it just doesn't feel like it here. And sometimes the enemy turns on us in that moment and go, I must have done something wrong. So we start scrutinizing ourselves. Or, or we stop trusting. Or we pull back. Because it's, it's easy for any of us to start questioning that. When we question, why did this happen to me? Excuse me. <laughs> Usually they don't come alone, so just be prepared. <laughs> um, why did I experience this? Why, why did my marriage fall apart? Why am I still single? God knows I want to get married. Why am I doing life alone? Why did my cancer come back? Why did my kid walk away? Why is my business struggling so much? Why are we barely making it? Why does the depression seem to never leave? Or the treatment's not working? Or the addiction is so much stronger for me than other people? I mean, you live in hard circumstances long enough. And at a core level, at a heart level, you can kind of go, God, do you see this? Do you care about this? Are you there? How does Isaiah address a group of people who who they've not been in it for a short period of time? They've been in it for 70 years. What do you say to people like that? Notice his first focus. Look what he says in verse 28. He reminds them what he's been saying the whole chapter about who God is. Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. I mean, the starting place is step back for a moment and just remember who God is. Remember who God is. And and guys, this is really important. 
It can feel like it's almost a diversion, but it's so important because he's got to set the context again. Because when you're in pain or when you're in struggle or when you're in a crisis point, we can get so head down, so focused on our circumstances, and the enemy loves us in that position. And Isaiah says, well, just stop for a minute. Remember who God is. And he just emphasizes for them four attributes of God. You look at it. Look at the four things. One, he is everlasting. He's everlasting. Literally from eternity past to eternity future. He's always existed. There's never been a time where God was not. And, and our minds can barely comprehend eternity future. Okay, it lasts forever. We really can't comprehend. Wait, he was always here. He was always here to the point that he's outside of time and space. And the whole continuum. Now, part of that is comforting because we can know since he's everlasting, there's no circumstance he's ever experienced that, that he's going to go, oh man, I haven't seen that before. He's always been here. He's seen all things. It's even more than that though. His very being is outside of our understanding and our experience. And if you start there, you go, I cannot define him then based on my experience. He's an everlasting God. He follows that then with, he is the creator. All things were made by him. Everything that we see, everything that we experience, everything in our universe, it was all created by him. Colossians tells us it's all held together by him. It continues to function every day. The things that we take for granted because he created the universe with such precision, and because we study it and we learn how it works, sometimes we forget it works because he works. Because he does it. Things that every day we don't even think about. You think about our planet that is here right now, that spins on its axis. And, and even in this moment to us, it feels very still, but it's spinning at about 24,000 miles an hour on its axis. That's the only way you make it all the way around so that we're at the same spot tomorrow. We have the 24-hour day that's so consistent. At the same time that's happening, the planet itself is traveling around the sun at around 67,000 miles per hour. Isn't that amazing? It's hurtling at that speed, stays at it. And so, so at the very least, take caution in this, maybe on a day when you were a couch potato all day and someone tells you, you've done nothing today, you can tell them, actually, I traveled 1.6 million miles today. <laughs> Earth did all the work, but you know. And, and then you think about the fact that the Milky Way, our, our galaxy even is spinning. 483,000 miles per hour. All of this happens all the time. All of it consistent. And that's just one little slice of what our God as creator does. And, and, and the only reason I say that, and I think, again, it's good to back up a little bit, because when I'm so focused on my circumstance, I can forget all that he is doing and has done and continues to do as God. He says on the third thing, he's all powerful. He never grows weak. 
He never has a sick day. He never mails it in. He never reaches his point where he's done. He's just done with it. He's all powerful. Now, this characteristic, though, I think can be part of the crux of our problem, though, when you're really wrestling. Because if you're struggling with an issue and you know that he's all powerful, and so if he's all powerful, God, you could fix this. God, you could do something here. You're all powerful. And I think that's the core of our struggle. How do you wrestle with an all powerful God and, and yet he's not acting here? Certainly not in the time frame I think he should. And the last characteristic he puts with it is he, he understands all things even beyond what we can fathom. He said in verse 28, his, his ways are unsearchable. There's a part of his understanding and, and that term unsearchable, what it means is no matter how deep I get into it, there's a, a part of it that I will never be able to fully understand because he is God. We, we often tell ourselves, if I just had more information, if I just knew more, I'm going to finally unlock the why in all of it. And Isaiah looks at it and says, because he is God, there's a part of the why that is unsearchable. And, and, and this is hard to wrestle with. This is that part where as humans, I, I can find myself frustrated at times around that. That doesn't mean that God withholds all answers, but it does mean that there's a part of him being God that I'm never going to fully comprehend. You know, some theologians, is that, as they've wrestled with this concept of what do you do with evil in the world? What do you do with the problems of it? And and maybe, and here's what they've come up with, a concept that's called a lesser God. Maybe he's not as powerful as we think we are. Maybe he's not as well. Maybe he's more limited than we realize. And so he doesn't like these bad things any more than you do, and he really couldn't do anything about it. And, and as I, I look at that, I really don't think it relieves anything. And, and I'll be honest, I, I've never met someone who's gone through a hard season that the concept of lesser God ultimately comforted them. I've never met anyone that they go, you know what really helped me through that? When I started doubting God. Man, that, that really was comforting. But I tell you, I have met many people, many families, many couples who, who have been through really hard circumstances. And, and I've heard it over and over again. I didn't really understand what he was doing, still don't. But it helps me to know he is God, that he is on his throne, that he is in control. There's a part of that that we have to grasp and hold on to, and that's part of what Isaiah is calling them to, that I know you've been in this, and I know you're struggling with this, but just stop real quick and back up and go, remember who God is. Just remember who God is and let him be God. Let God be God and we're not. And, and, and then he continues, he, he says, and look what he does. This God, who is God, he gives power to the faint and to him who has no might, he increases strength. He, he gives power. You're struggling, you're weak, 
You're feeling it. Here's the two things that he promises out of this. One, it's just pretty explicit there. You can see the point. He gives strength and power to those who need it. He gives it. Instead of withholding it, instead of looking at us and and pulling back from us, it, it, it is an amazing attribute of our God. We as a people, we so admire strength. We so are drawn to beauty. We're so drawn to the best of the best, and we admire it. I love, though, that God, because of he is all those things in himself, he's not repelled by us. He's actually drawn to our weakness. He's actually drawn to those who need it. And and the verse points out, and I love what it points out, lest any of us go, oh, yeah, he needs to help those weak people. The, The second point the verse points out, we're the ones who need it. Because even the best of us grow weary. He says, even your youths, even your strongest men, even those of you who, who you would say, man, they are the strongest out there, even they get fatigued. And the point of it is, it doesn't matter who you are. And we've been looking at it in this series on margin of living life where you feel that fatigue. But here's the reality. Even if you have the greatest margins in the world, There are life circumstances that will bring you to your end. There are things that we go through in it where you may be the strongest person and you physically are just worn out. You may have the strongest constitution and you're emotionally worn out. You may be a person who's walked with Jesus for years and you can find yourself spiritually at that low point in it. And in that place, look what he says about God. He doesn't pull back from us. He actually loves to give his strength in those moments. He loves to meet us in that. What the apostle Paul said three times he prayed, would you just remove this thorn in my flesh? I'm tired of this weakness in my life. And God says, my strength is perfected in your weakness. It's where you get to see me show up in it. So in light of this information, What is he telling us to do in response? Look at verse 31. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. Who are the people that get to experience this? They who wait for the Lord. And so what is our response? It's not really a real popular word we like. Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. And even as I say that, I can feel it in the room. I can feel it myself because you're kind of building up. All right, he is this awesome God. He gives strength. All right, what's the answer? And the answer is the one word we probably hate the most, wait. I mean, you ever gone to a, any event, amusement park or anything, and you go, hey, kids, guess what? Good news, we have a long wait. <laughs> long wait ahead of us. You walk in the DMV, you just love it. Oh, four-hour wait, Awesome. Awesome. So glad for that. I hate wait. We hate wait. It's, just, it's, it's anti our culture, certainly anti Bay Area. I mean, we're inventing stuff all the time so people don't have to wait for anything, ever. <laughs> and then I got to wait for the Lord. Now, I want to unpack the word a little bit because we immediately just go to this negative, okay, wait on God. And we almost create just this skeptical, I'll take my number, sit in the waiting room when God finally gets to me after he's taken care of all the other people that I think he cares about more. 
then maybe I'll get some attention. That's not what he's describing here. It's actually three parts of the word in Hebrew. Three, three parts of it that in it. Here's the first part. Now, this one is patience. Believing that God will work in his perfect time. There's an aspect of waiting that I'm learning patience in it. And, and patience, unfortunately, is one of those concepts you can't learn cognitively. It's kind of like humility. You can study humility all you want. It'll actually make you more proud. It's when you experience life and you're treated in a way like the kingdom calls us that you start growing in it based on response. Same thing with patience. I think we can read every treatise on patience in the world. It's what you experience in life. And so part of this experience is God's growing in us a patient heart. And he's much more patient than we are. I mean, just read through scripture. Look at the people that he walked with. That he promises Abraham a son. And it's a couple of decades later before he sees him. When Joseph, falsely imprisoned, spends best part of his youth as a slave or in prison. Moses spends 40 years out keeping his father-in-law's sheep. I mean, from the age of 40 to 80. God just has him keep the sheep. And and finally at 80, he says, yeah, I'm ready to use you. You're ready to go. We're going to do some great things. I mean, we think out of 80 today, you're done. And God says, no, we're just getting started. Jesus, who was God in the flesh, didn't do any public ministry for the first 30 years. I mean, we, we live in a culture today that, man, if you have not launched your first company by 30, you're done. He doesn't even get going till 30. The people were in Babylon for 70 years. There's a patience that God has. And, and sometimes he takes us through these circumstances because that's what he's teaching us. That's what we're growing in, in that. And, and it's not pleasant in the process, but it's needed. Now, even as I say that, again, it's not a passive patience. It's not, okay, I've got to learn to be patient. The second part of this word is actually Expectation. Expectation, believing that God is working on my behalf. It's not like sitting in the back of the chair, I'm waiting on God. It's leaning forward and I'm looking to God and I actually believe, God, you're doing something. I actually believe that that you're active in that. I actually believe that you care. And, And I bring a sense of expectation to that. There's a hard reality that a lot of people, even people that come to church, even people that are Christians, they've stopped expecting God to show up a long time ago. They just kind of, yeah, I'll do this, I'll be faithful. But lost a sense of expectation of looking to him, of waiting on him. Now, part of it, though, you have to guard, because I know I've done this in my life. When I'm in those seasons, and I have that sense of waiting the Lord and expectation, I can equate what I'm expecting to be what God must do. So my expectation becomes, well, if God's going to work, this is how he has to work. And so part of what it's calling us to is I'm looking forward with expectation, but I'm trusting him that he knows what he's doing. I remember years ago, kind of in a humorous way, 
when my daughter Kate, who's 21, and she was a little girl, a little preschooler, and I was taking her on her kind of first official daddy-daughter date. And uh, I dressed up. I put on a suit, and she had a dress on, and, and I went out, and to prepare for it, I said, I'm going to go get her some flowers. I told her, I'm going to go get her some flowers and bring them to the door. And so she's getting all ready, and Lee says, oh, daddy's coming to pick you up for your date, and he's got a surprise for you. And so I came, and I knocked on the door, and they opened it, and there she is in her little dress, and all cute, and I'm holding the flowers back, and she's kind of got that look. And then I pull the flowers out, and she goes, oh. <laughs> Not really what you want from your date, you know? And so, so I, I said, sweetheart, is, is there something else you were expecting? And, and she said, well, actually, I've really been wanting a lizard for a long time, and I, <laughs> I just thought maybe you had gone out to get me a lizard. Good to know, good to know in these moments. And, and I've thought about that at times over the years, though. That, that often, sometimes in hard times, just sometimes in daily life, when God has good things for me, but I'm holding out for the lizard, because I think the lizard's the best thing. I got my expectation of what I think it's supposed to look like. And then when God doesn't move in that way, somehow I can kind of look at him and go, well, you didn't deliver. When really he knew best. So part of this is this heart of, I am patiently waiting on him. I am expecting. The, the third part of that word wait though, and this is a core part, it's trust. There's a sense of trust of believing that God will always be there for me that I can trust him in this. I can look to him in this. You know, years ago, Henry Nouwen, in his book, Sabbatical Journey, has one of the best descriptions of this, where he did some research with a trapeze family. It's a family that traveled with the, a circus, the trapeze, and you know, when I went to the circus, that was always my favorite part, was trapeze. They're swinging there and they jump off the swing and they catch him on the other and they do the flips and all the different parts with it. And he, he went some, spent some time with the flying Rudellas. It was a family. And they, they described to him just the aspects of it in the family and they said, yeah, the different people are not interchangeables. You have flyers and you have catchers. Some in it, they are catchers. And they're the ones they go out and they hang upside down and they're swinging strong. And then you have the flyer, and the flyer's up on the platform, and the flyer leaves the platform and swings and swings and swings. And then the moment comes that the flyer has to let go. And they said, this is the most crucial thing. The flyer must fly and not try to catch. The flyer has to trust that the catcher will catch them. But don't reach for them. Don't do anything, just fly and let the catcher catch them. And as now and described it, it is such a beautiful picture, a hard picture of what we experience, what some of you are experiencing right now. 
where you, you were swinging along in life and it was good and God said, hey, I need you to let go. I need you to trust me. And, and you let go of what's secure and even now you're kind of in that moment where you're flying. And everything in you wants to go, oh God, I'm, I, I gotta reach it, I gotta grab it. He says, trust me. I'll catch you. Trust me. I've got you. Trust me. It's a difficult thing to do. In fact, everything in us, in those moments, wants to grab control again. And one of the reasons he brings us to that place and calls us to experience that is so that we can know him and trust him more. Look at the result. For those who wait upon the Lord, he makes three statements about them. Three things. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. This is the, the verse, and we memorize this verse a lot because I love this part of this. And what's the promise here? That we will soar like eagles. That literally God carries us above our circumstances. I don't know if, if about you, but I've experienced this in my life. Different seasons where we come into those hard places where God calls us to trust him, and suddenly you find yourself, you soar. He gives, he moves, he does things that you go, I, I can't even believe that God's carrying me through this and over this. You soar like eagles. And, and eagles are interesting because eagles in particular, they understand the thermals. They understand the different air pressure, the wind in that. Because of that, eagles are not scared of storms. Oftentimes when a big storm system's coming, you'll see the eagles actually go ride them. Because they understand it, they can soar without having to flap. And so they've seen it, researchers have seen it up in the mountains at these altitudes that are unbelievable. Eagles just almost still, but they're able to soar in that. And this picture that God's given us, and, and we can experience at times, where, where he takes you through a circumstance that on the surface of it, you go, man, this is a storm, and God goes, yeah, I'm going to give you strength and power over it. Now, it's interesting. This is not an innate ability with eagles. They have to learn it. I was reading this week of the mother eagle, when she builds the nest, she purposely builds the nest up in the mountains at a high altitude. And then puts the sticks and weaves them together and lines it with feathers and leaves, makes it soft, and then the eagle's are hatched and they, they little eaglets as they're starting to grow. And then the day comes that mother eagle takes the little baby eaglet, takes it over to the edge of the nest. And I can only imagine, you know, the eaglet's kind of looking up, what are we doing here? And then mom pushes them out from this mountain top. And the eaglet just falls. And mom swoops down and catches it and takes it back to the nest. And I'm sure the eaglet at that point's like, let's never do that again. <laughs> but mom does it again and again. At the same time that she's training them, 
she starts disassembling the nest. Takes out the comfortable parts first. Starts taking out feathers, taking out the leaves, and literally will take her, her beak and start to break the branches of the nest at one point. Kind of this symbol, you're, you're not staying here anymore. You know, as I read through that, I just thought about my own life. And, and I'd encourage you as well, sometimes even the small things are the daily discomforts of life. Instead of begrudging them, God may be using the discomforts of today to prepare you to soar in the storms of tomorrow. And so even thank him for what you're experiencing today. Thank him for his preparation. Now, in this, you, you may look at that verse and you go, but Tim, I'm not soaring. And we don't always soar. Here's what I love. He gives three options here. Look at the second one. Soar. Second, run and not grow weary. And this is where God empowers us to move through them. Sometimes you hit these circumstances, you soar over them. Other times in life, you still have to go through them. And, and you run and not grow weary in them. And they, these are those times where maybe God didn't miraculously cure. Maybe God didn't have me soar over something, but he gave me strength. He gave me energy to move through it, to literally run through it in a way that you didn't expect. Still difficult and hard, but you look on it and you go, man, I could see God's hand in it. We felt this as a family this last year with Lee's cancer diagnosis. I mean, we were not expecting it. It certainly took the legs out from under us, difficult in it. Every diagnosis point, we kept thinking they'll go, oh no, this is clear, this is clear, and it wasn't, to the point that she had to have surgery. And then the whole thing happened rapidly with that. But as we come to the other side of it, as we see her healing now, as we see God's provision in it, we would look at that and go, yeah, that was hard to go through, but God took us through it in an amazing way. And, and frankly, in a way that a lot of you have not experienced because you're still in it and it's hard. And so we see God's provision. We say, thank you for that. Some of you have experienced this where it was a hard time in your marriage and God took you through it. It's a hard season in your life. It was a hard business time. It was in that season, as you look back on it now, as hard as it was, you can go, man, God gave me strength to move through that. When we're sore, God's working for us. He does some amazing thing. When we run, God's working through us. You know what I love, though? This, this chapter and this section ends. There's one final option. When you don't even soar and you, you don't run, look at the last thing. When you walk. And here, here's the promise here. You don't faint. <laughs> God gives strength for one more day. And the reality is there's some seasons where you don't soar. God doesn't do this amazing thing for you. You don't run. You don't feel this amazing thing happening through you. You just walk. And it's slow. And every day, you don't know if i got enough strength to get through one more day. And here's his promise. I'll give you enough strength today you don't faint. Today to make it to lunch. 
to make it to the end of the day. And it's in these times, guys. Maybe I don't see God working for me in amazing ways. I don't even see him working through me. I don't feel that. I can promise you this. It's in those seasons of walking that God is working in you. He's changing you. He's making you more like him. And I don't always understand his providence of why he chooses how we're going to experience, whether it's soaring or running or walking. But remember, he's good, and he's creator, and he's everlasting, and he's all-powerful, and he's not forgotten any of us. He's not forgotten you. And so I'd encourage you today, maybe you're in the storm or you're about to face it, my prayer for all of us is that you'd be able to soar over it. I love those stories. Or, or that you at least could have the strength to run through it. But if he has you in a season of walking, trust him. Look to him. And believe he is doing something in you that is good. And it's in his providence and goodness that he has you there. Let's pray. Father, we do look to you. We do long for you and need you. And just declare together we trust you even when we don't understand. Lord, I pray for each person here. There's so many different stories. There's so many different needs. There's so many different issues that people are facing today. Lord, I, I pray, would you give them a heart of trust, of expectation, of patience? Lord, we look to you because we have nowhere else to turn. And even that desperation is a good thing. And so we lift this before you today, thankful that you are the God who works for us. You're the God who works through us. And even on those hardest of days, we know you're the God who's working in us because of the work of Jesus Christ, our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. We hope today's message encouraged you in your journey of faith. To keep up with the latest messages and what's happening, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit venture.cc.